Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody this morning. Um, happy Palm Sunday. This is a Sunday we uniquely begin to prepare our hearts for this week where we look back very intentionally in a, an annual way at looking back at the, re- at the crucifixion, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. And so um, if you're a, a guest this morning, thank you for being here with us this morning. Um, I'm so thankful that you're here and would love to meet you after the service. I'll be standing out in the back and would love the chance to meet you. But I want to invite you back, if you are a guest, to celebrate with us next Sunday on Easter Sunday. And if you are a regular attender here, remember, please, Easter Sunday is one of the best opportunities to invite someone, maybe a a neighbor or a coworker, a friend, a relative, um, to invite them to come to church with you. It'll be a time of celebrating the good news of Jesus. And so make plans to do that. And then also we're going to be having a Good Friday service. And that'll be a good time for us as a faith family to gather together in a very, um, in a very, uh, focused way on remembering the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And so that'll be this Friday night at 6.30. And so make plans to attend um, over the course of this week. This morning, we're, we're wrapping up a study that we've been in in the book of Ephesians, and I've called it a unity like no other. And the reason for that is because over in chapter four, Paul makes this very clear argument that there's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. And so there's this unity focus in Ephesians. And I think that once we have that set of glasses on and we look at all of Ephesians through this major thrust of unity, that it makes a lot more sense that Paul is providing the biblical basis for our unity in Christ. And he does it all throughout. And so this week, we come to chapter 6. And so I invite you to turn to Ephesians chapter 6. And this morning, we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 20. And I've entitled this sermon, A Fight Like No Other. So we have a unity like no other, but, but we are in a fight like no other. And so I want us to really look and see what what God's Word teaches us about the nature of our fight. Because if there's one thing that characterizes today, um, I believe it's fighting. Um, there's a lot of back and forth sparring that takes place. And really, it has not left any sector of relationships unscathed. In the workplace, I mean, one neighbor to another, families are a rift. I mean, all of these things, there's these big issues going on that are tearing us apart and making us to spar and to fight with one another. But we uniquely are in a fight like no other. And so I want us to see that and consider it today. So I want to invite you to stand for the reading of God's holy word. And I want you to hear how God speaks to us as his children in what it is to be in this battle. So hearing the word of the Lord, beginning in verse 10 of chapter 6, God says, finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so that you may be able to resist in the evil day. And having prepared everything to take your stand. Stand, therefore, with truth like a belt around your waist, righteousness like armor on your chest, and your feet sandaled with readiness for the gospel of peace. In every situation, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. 
Pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer and request, and stay alert with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints. Pray also for me that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may be bold enough to speak about it as I should. Father, I pray that today, through the reading and the preaching of your word, that you would equip us, Lord, you would purify us, and Lord, you would ready us and fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we, just like Paul, would be equipped to speak boldly as we should about Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Explicit in this text is that we are in a fight like no other. The Greek word in verse 12 is pale. It means to engage in a challenging contest, to struggle against another, to wrestle. Paul says for our challenging contest, our struggle, you and I collectively, our wrestling as a body, our fighting as the church is not against flesh and blood. If you're a Christian here today, you have felt this struggle. We collectively have felt this struggle in this fight again and again and again when we have been at points of decision that come at a place of the values of the kingdom of God being in conflict with the values of the kingdom of darkness. Now, the application of that is infinite. We could, we could begin to, to contrast the values of the world or spiritual darkness or the forces of evil, all of these things with the values of God's kingdom in all areas of life. But for a moment, I want you to consider this area, literature, what we read. Many of you love to read, which is a wonderful way to increase knowledge and understanding. But like any other area, you must make decisions about what you read. You can't read every book. So how do you decide what you read? And then in addition to that, how much negative content, including profanity, explicit sexual references, murder, cynicism, lying, adultery, theft, are you willing to allow to be entertainment or to entertain and allow your mind to consider and to think about? It may have been a minute since it first happened. But I personally have experienced and have spoken to so many believers who suddenly, upon the turn of a page in a story they were reading, or a biography or, or some other book that they were looking at, all of a sudden realized that what they were reading contained something that aroused them, disturbed them, caused them to return in their mind to a sinful moment in the past. And, and for a moment, they contemplated whether they ought to keep reading. Has that ever happened to you? Should I keep turning the pages? That moment was a wrestling. That moment of conscience was a fight. That moment, that one little moment, was that moment of the kingdom values and the worldly values coming in conflict with one another. But between who? That wrestling that we feel within, it, where is that wrestling taking place? 
Now, many in popular psychology would suggest that the struggle, the wrestling, the fight is between your negative thinking and your better angels. Essentially, what that means is that you're always fighting with you. You're just fighting yourself all the time. But notice in the text the clarity in which Paul challenges that understanding that we're just fighting ourselves with the reality that he establishes concerning the true nature of our struggle. Verse 12, for our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. Notice first, our fight is not against flesh and blood. Our fight is not against flesh and blood. We are going to say that a bunch of times in this service because it is a bedrock truth we have got to get our hands around today. We as the people of God have got to come back to this biblical truth that we do not fight against flesh and blood. We've lost that. We have lost that reality. And it is evident in the body and it is evident in the way that we treat others today. An immediate practical application of this is to recognize that when you are faced with temptation, let's just use the example sexual temptation because it's common, that the path forward is not to kill the person by whom you're tempted. In other words, if I'm, if I'm tempted to look at a woman in an inappropriate way, the, the fitting course is not to then kill her in my fight against temptation. You see, that's what happened just a couple of weeks ago with a 21-year-old man in Georgia. At the most basic level, he bought into the idea that our battle is against flesh and blood. That's one manifestation of believing that our struggle is against flesh and blood, murder. And that could come in a, a moment like that, which is more rare, or it can become... a in in an instance that's more common as it is even in our own city of murdering in anger. Because you've bought into the idea that your battle is against flesh and blood. So you murder the person with whom you're angry. But at the other end of that spectrum, the manifestation that is much, much more common today than killing someone by whom you're tempted is this, suicide. You see, I believe that it is much more common manifestation of a deeply held belief that our struggle is against flesh and blood is to believe that our struggle is against our flesh and blood. That's what we're constantly battling is my own flesh and blood. And I'm battling it and I'm battling it. And then many, especially right now, and in an unbelievable rate since COVID-19, suicide is up more than it's ever been. In fact, given the context of what we considered last week of relationships between wife and husband, children and parents, slaves and masters, I would say that a likely reading of the text that Paul is countering is an understanding of humanity in which our primary battle is against our physical body. We know that such philosophy was taught in Paul's day as it is in our own, that mastery of the flesh is the great mission on which we are endeavoring as humans. The idea is that what's going on inside of you is good, while the outside of you is bad. The true you wants to eat healthy, but your body wants carbs and sweets. The true you wants to exercise, but your body wants to be lazy and weak. 
The true you wants to help others, but your body experiences fear and resists expending the energy to serve others. If that's the case, then life becomes about mastering the flesh. Discipline becomes the means by which we experience salvation. So the more disciplined you are, the more you're being saved. And those that are great at discipline feel as though they are more saved than others. A quick gauge of, for how deeply we're holding on to that sort of belief system is how much we resist a countering belief when someone speaks it whom we trust or respect. Now, immediately I'm at a disadvantage because the great majority of you have only known me about three months, and you're still, while you trust the office of pastor, you're still getting to know the man who's serving as your pastor. But in this moment, I'm not asking you to trust me. I'm asking you to trust and take the word of God your Father. For it is he who says to you and I, you struggle not against flesh and blood. Your own or another's. Our Father is training our understanding in this moment. Our Father is teaching us about reality. You see, I don't know anybody that doesn't want to be anchoring their decisions and the way they think on a false reality. I mean, I think more than ever, we're kind of alerted that there's all of this fake information that's out there articles and posts and, and commercials and all these things to where it makes you very suspect of what is real. But no, this is real. We know our Father. We know the Son. We know the Holy Spirit. So let us trust God in this moment and cling to and replace any previous understanding of our struggle in this life with this central truth that our struggle is not against flesh and blood. On the extremes, this truth protects us from perpetrating murder or self-inflicting suicide. And in the middle where most of us in this room find ourselves living day after day, it protects us from the poisonous pride that either celebrates the measure of our discipline in comparison to others, thank you that I'm not like these other sinners, or it leads us to constantly speak messages of worthlessness and failure because our discipline is less than others, but yet our eyes are still always upon us. I encourage you, as we begin this holy week leading up to Good Friday and to Resurrection Sunday, to repeat this truth over and over in your mind, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. When you're in the car in traffic, our battle is not against flesh and blood. When you wake up in the morning, our battle is not against flesh and blood. Let this truth kind of marinate in your mind. Steep your mind in this truth. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. You see, the central truth to our understanding of why life is difficult is seen most clearly in Christ and in the gospel the, the center of which we celebrate this week. You see, if Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem had been based upon what he was about to do to the Romans, to their flesh and blood, how he would defeat it, then at first glance he failed. The Romans, with a mundaneness, executed Jesus, just like they executed thousands of criminals before him. 
and would execute thousands after him. They had fun with this death, like they had fun with countless others before him. They mocked him, they, they dressed him up, they, they tortured him, they delighted in humiliating him, just like they had done all the others. His death, while rightly viewed as sacred to Christians today, was then profane and normal. But remember, our battle is not against flesh and blood. You see, Jesus revealed this truth in the garden when Peter pulled out a sword and hacked off an official's ear, and Jesus tells Peter to put away his sword and then healed the severed ear. Jesus revealed that our battle is not against flesh and blood to Pilate, the man in the crucifixion story representing Rome, who was told by Jesus that he could call upon a legion of angels, literally an army of mighty warrior angels, heaven's special forces. But our battle is not against flesh and blood. Jesus revealed this when he breathed his last words to Telestai. It is finished. And rather than the whole world in that finished triumphant moment dropping dead, all flesh and blood defeated, only one breathed his his last and gave up his spirit because our battle is not against flesh and blood. Jesus revealed this when he rose bodily. I mean, think about this. If what we're ultimately after is defeat of flesh and blood, then, then, then victory is to be disembodied. But Christ rose victorious bodily. He was seen, touched, smelled. People ate with him. And then bodily, he ascended with the promise given that one day he would bodily return. Because our battle is not against flesh and blood. Let this truth sink down deep and give understanding to the events that we remember this week. The battle of the cross was not against flesh and blood. Jesus' death and resurrection were not to defeat flesh and blood. They were to defeat sin and save sinners. Only one was without sin, Jesus. Only one was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, Jesus. Only one was given once for all as a final sacrifice for sin, Jesus. Only one died for all that all might be saved through him, Jesus. Only one uttered, it is finished, Jesus. Only one proved that it is finished by rising again, Jesus. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, a truth we know in Jesus. Therefore, the only way we will make it through this battle, this struggle, this fight, is in Jesus. You see, Jesus shows us that our battle, what we are struggling with in this life, is not our flesh and blood or somebody else's flesh and blood. He shows us that preeminently at the cross. When he could have defeated flesh and blood, he allowed his flesh and blood to be given to save ours. And then in this Christian life, having been saved, brought into a newness of creation, we don't become disembodied spirits hovering just slightly off the ground. There's no halo over our heads that separates us from another. 
So the distinction of this Christian life then becomes how we go through this life. What our lives look like. What do our lives show? Do they show that we're still battling flesh and blood, our own or another's? Are they showing that Jesus, with his flesh and blood, already defeated what the battle was all about anyway? This is exactly what the text says. It says, finally, be strengthened by the Lord. Why? Right? Why not just like muster your strength? Why be strengthened by another? Because it's only him who is victorious. He's the only way that we know victory in this life. Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. I love that description. It's huge. It's big enough for anything you're facing. Put on the full armor of God so that you can stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. But the second truth that we need to remember and be reminded of today is this. And there's only one set of armor. There's only one set of armor. I did an in-depth study years ago on the occurrence of armor and then the implements of armor that were all in the singular rather than the plural. In other words, it doesn't say take up the shields of faith and the swords of the spirit. It doesn't say put on the, the, the belts of truth. It, it's singular. And it doesn't say get all of your different armors of God. It says armor. In other words, the passage doesn't call each Christian to take up a separate belt of truth so that we assemble as an army, but it's actually more like a a Trojan horse, if you remember that story, of, of all the soldiers climbing into this one thing. We are called to climb inside the one ginormous suit of armor that belongs to God. Let me concisely and clearly say, the armor of God is Christ Jesus, our Lord. So this isn't something else, this is Jesus. This is a way of illustrating how Jesus functions in our life as the church. Because Jesus is our truth. He is our righteousness. He is our peace. He is the substance of our faith. He is our salvation. He is the giver of the spirit so that every implement, specific piece of armor, we see fully displayed elsewhere in the New Testament that that's who Jesus is. Every piece is only accessed and worn in Christ. Because our battle is not against flesh and blood, and there's only one set of armor. I want to focus on this for a moment because I think it's something we look past. You see, even in my own closet, and for many men, probably every man in this room at some point in your Christian journey has been challenged in your battle against a temptation to sexual sin, for example, to put on the armor of God. And so in my closet for years, I've had this little, this little picture that has like this, this shield on it that then has these verses on it about putting on the, the armor of God. And the challenge in being given that was that every day you need to suit up for the, for the battle that you're entering into. That I'd have integrity in my work, there'd be purity in my eyes, there'd be, there'd be uh, a genuineness in my thoughts. I mean, all of these kind of things, you know, all of that so that every day I would suit up. But can I tell you how, how, how 
isolating it is that every day that I personally am just suiting up on my own and I'm going out into this big cosmic battle by myself. And sure, if, I, if I'm in a pinch, I can maybe you know, tap a friend to say, hey, would you pray for me? But notice how amazing it is that what, what is actually being said is there's this one warrior. His name is Jesus. And he has all of the armor needed to protect and defend in this life. And so if you want to experience protection and direction to be able to stand firm in this life, you have to go get in the armor with Jesus. That's what's being said almost in explicit terms. And so what that means for us in like kind of a, an application is this, three things. Number one, we aren't meant to suit up to battle each other. You see, far too often, believer has taken up the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, to slay down another believer. But when there's only one sword, and there's only one real warrior, his name is Jesus, in which we find our place, and it's only in his armor, then then there's only access to this one sword. So we can't duel each other. There's only one word of God. God, forgive us for how we've used his word to battle and to, and to take these stabs at each other. Rather than allowing God's word to be how we collectively take our stand. Practically, don't let a virus, a mask, or a vaccine divide you, people of God. And I speak that to us here at First Baptist New Orleans and to everyone that's watching at home and to those beyond the borders of First Baptist New Orleans that would represent the kingdom of God. Let us stop allowing a virus, a mask, or a vaccine to divide us among the people of God. Practically, don't let a political party, a political candidate, or a political event divide you, people of God. Don't let race or gender disputes or or ethnicity divide you. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, and there's only one set of armor. Second, we are meant, because there's only one piece of armor, only one set of armor, we're actually all meant to stand together. It's implied in the fact that there's only one set. So if we're going to stand, we have to stand together. Ephesians 4 makes it so beautifully clear. I can improve no more than to read it. Therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There's one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope at your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all. For our battle is not against flesh and blood, and there's only one set of armor. The third implication of this truth that there's only one set of armor is this. Christ is enough to protect us no matter what comes. Christ is enough. He is sufficient to protect us 
through whatever is yet to come. He was strong enough for what we've been through this last year to 18 months, and he is strong enough for whatever will come for the future. And so let us pray. I mean, notice how Paul follows this up in chapter 6, how this standing together in this one singular set of armor that we are all standing together, we're not fighting each other, we're taking our stand together in Christ, how that naturally and beautifully then leads us in victory and in confidence to pray. Verse 18, pray at all times in the Spirit with every prayer. He's saying this to us collectively as the body. And to stay alert, all of you together, wearing the armor of Christ, all standing together with all perseverance and intercession for all the saints, just as we did this morning. Pray also for me, Paul says, that the message may be given to me when I open my mouth to make it known with boldness to make known with boldness the mystery of the gospel. For this, talking about the gospel, I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I might be bold enough to speak about it as I should. You see, I think we have allowed ourselves to become so divided and focused and talking all the time about the infighting, what's going on within us, and not standing together in solidarity and in unity and taking up the sword of the Spirit in order to stand firm in the truth, that prayers for boldness to then make the gospel known are far from us. They're far from our lips. We won't be bold with the gospel in New Orleans and all nations when we're not bold enough to be humble in the body, to lay down any dagger we picked up along the way, thinking it was the word of God with which to stab or take a jab at a brother. We're not going to be bold to stand with the word of God and the mystery of the gospel on our lips in New Orleans and all nations. In other words, the mission suffers when the body fights. Let me be real clear. There's not this horrible chaos here at First Baptist New Orleans. I want to be explicit in saying that. There's not, I'm not addressing some huge issue. But I think that we're aware, as we've looked at across not only our own body and maybe some things that have happened over the last 18 months, but others, and kind of the, the, the chatter that's happening in Southern Baptist life and beyond, to see and to know and to say, you know what, this is timely for us all. This is a truth we all needed to be reminded of, that the unity of the body is about coming together in Christ and taking our stand in Him, a stand that is always manifest for God's glory with humility. May that be the, the measuring rod, the, the litmus test of our, of our true stand together. Is it, is it a standing in unity that is characterized by humility? And the most humble people that I have seen and have known have been the ones who have been the most diligent and faithful to quickly drop to their knees in prayer. Prayer for, for those that maybe they have issue with, praying for missionaries, praying for the gospel to be advanced, praying for the sick, praying for the lost. They're the ones that are humbly on their knees seeking the Lord. You see, I mean, the progression is beautiful, right? You go from this military picture of armor and all of these things right into prayer. 
It almost doesn't make sense. I mean, you almost expect that, you know, he tells you to put on the military armor, you know, suit it up, and then go out there. He says, and pray. And to a people who are, who are coming up short on prayer, that's a good word to hear. It's a good challenge. And so we as the people of God, we're going to continue to cultivate a place of prayer because we want to stand together in Christ in this one suit of armor, conscious, conscious this week and conscious in the weeks ahead that our battle is not against flesh and blood. Will you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that in your, your good pleasure, God, you, you led us to this, this series in Ephesians to be able to look at the real biblical basis of our unity. And so, Lord, we have seen the truth of your word today, that we, we're in a, in a fight like no other because our fight is not against flesh and blood. And that's what distinguishes it. But the other truth that we celebrate uniquely as the people of God is that we have one who fights for us and truly fought for us and died for us that we might have life. So Lord, may in this moment of stillness be a moment where each one of us spend time worshiping and Lord, maybe confessing Maybe that's what you need to do this morning is confess, Lord, I have been believing the lie that I am in a battle against flesh and blood. Either your own, you're constantly battling yourself and your demons, if you will, or you're battling another and that your real enemy is him or her or them or they. But to be able to come back to this truth, to say, God, I, I believe your word that my battle's not against flesh and blood. So, Lord, help me to demonstrate that in this specific way. But you may be here today, and honestly, for the first time in your life, you are realizing that up till this point in your life, you have been battling flesh and blood, and you didn't realize there was one who loved you who gave up his flesh and blood. That's exactly what the Scriptures teach, that his flesh literally was given on the cross for you. He shed his blood for you to save you, to cleanse you, to take away all unrighteousness and sin and to bring you into his kingdom and to give you this gift of new life, to be born again, to be brought into the kingdom of light, no longer in darkness, but walking with him forever. That's good news. And so maybe today is just really the first day you're seeing that and you are ready to stop fighting and to surrender, to surrender to Jesus. I'm gonna ask for everyone to stand in this moment. There'll be music playing. If you need prayer this morning, because maybe you've been fighting, you've been fighting in your own strength, I'm here to pray for you in this moment, but you respond now as the Lord leads you.